0: If you're a pilates instructor looking to learn and grow using science-based tools the pilates instructor vip membership is for you this is a continuing education resource that includes monthly workshops weekly research reviews programming support full-on classes and so much more and you can get your seven day free trial right now with the link in the show notes but without further ado Let's get on to this episode. Welcome to the Evidence-Based Pilates podcast. We have an incredible episode in store for you today, and I have an awesome guest, Catherine uh, Bruni-Young here is on the podcast, and I would love uh, for you to introduce yourself. Catherine. Hello,
1: everybody. (laughs) It's so great to be here. Adam's been on my podcast and I've been following you for a long time. So, so glad to be here. Um, I started out as a yoga teacher, which I think that the people who've been following me for a long time, they know that. But the people who have just started following me now maybe think that I've always been into strength and conditioning, but I haven't. I started out as a yoga teacher um, like in my late teenage years. My mom owned one of the first yoga studios in Canada, so I got into it really young. And I loved that practice so much, and I did so much of it for so many years. And then in my later 20s, I was starting to have all different kinds of issues, like achy knees, achy back pain, spasms, this and that. And the advice I was getting from my yoga teachers at that point was like, use this block, or don't push yourself so hard, or I do this modification, stop doing these poses, don't do shoulder stand anymore, no more handstands, no more this, no more that. And I followed that advice for a little while. And I was like, okay, maybe I am pushing myself too hard. Maybe I do need a little bit of a break. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that I wasn't really improving. Like my achiness, my weird feelings, my spasms, that like internalized sense of weakness was not improving. And then by chance, I ended up in a CrossFit gym taking a workshop one day with this teacher who was traveling around. And in that workshop, immediately, I started to learn new things about how I could train my body. And it all started to click. And I started to realize, holy moly, I've been doing this practice for so long, but I've been missing out on these other things. And the other things I had been missing out on were like basic lifting, you know, pushing strength, pulling strength, hanging, uh, the ability to lift heavy weights. I didn't have any of that. And that was the first time I really started to like put my foot into strength training. And because it just made so much sense right off the bat, I was like, I'll try this. At this point, I'll try anything. And I started, I kept doing my Ashtanga yoga practice. I kept teaching. I started going to the gym. I started to work with CrossFit coaches and then eventually a personal trainer. And then I eventually, I got into competing and powerlifting. And over the next basically two years, My whole mindset about physical training and balance and strength and accessibility and helping people who were having similar kind of aches and pains that I was having completely shifted. And that was really the beginning for me of like, come on, yoga students, let's do a little wrist exercise at the beginning of our class, or let's do a little squatting exercise in the middle of the flow. Like I really brought things in slowly, but surely. But now a decade later, I have my own studio. It's more of a gym really than it is anything else. And I coach people of all ages and we lift really heavy weights. So it's been quite a progression, even for me getting from that place of like not really knowing anything about strength all the way to now.
0: You are, are speaking my love language of lifting heavy things. And I can so identify with that and dear listener, like shout out to you. If you can identify with that, I, that as well, it's similar in Pilates where, um, we end up with a lot of symptom modification strategies, meaning like you hurt, here's a thing to get you to not hurt for the next 30 seconds, but nothing that's actually helping you in the next 30 days. And it sounds like um, going to the CrossFit gym, being exposed to to some basic strength training principles really shifted your practice in less of a band-aid approach to more of a long-term solution. Now, there's always like a, I I, I love like super simple concepts. And then like you go to apply it and it's like not simple to apply apply this thing. Cause like the simple thing is like lift heavy things, get stronger, feel better, right? That's like the 10,000 foot view. But then, like standing in front of a room of a yoga class and like convincing them, we're going to do this heavy lifting thing. Um, What has that journey been like for you in terms of introducing uh, that newly found passion or new information into a yoga practice where things I can imagine are usually done a certain way?
1: Yeah. Well, when I first started doing it, I, I mean, I was teaching in a yoga studio. Like we didn't have any weights. This was like 10 years ago. This was before the days of resistance bands in every single yoga studio. So I really just did what I could. And I was worried that everyone was going to hate my class if I just completely changed everything. So I was like, I'm just going to do one exercise at a time. I'll just teach one exercise now, one exercise now. I started to just kind of like, sneak it in a little bit just like let's just see what happens because I was also new and I was just figuring it out for the first time and I knew everybody else was as well you know fast forward 10 years um, I reopened my little studio that I have here in my house about a year and a half ago after the pandemic and I previous to the pandemic I had been teaching a class on yoga mats. No, I had been teaching a class that looked more like a yoga or a Pilates class than than a strength training class. And when I reopened after the pandemic, I just thought to myself, you know what, now's the time for a change. I'm going to just try this and see what happens with my students. And I ordered a set of dumbbells and I put up a pull-up bar and I got my two barbells out and I got the plates out and I just put them in the room. And the first two months of the class, all we did was TheraBands. bands, and we did some nice exercises on the floor, and we're working on our push-ups, and we're doing really like basic, really approachable stuff, and then little by little, I remember the turning point was one day they showed up, and I said, "Go get one of those dumbbells." And they were like, "Oh what are, what? what are we doing? What's about to happen? Oh no, I don't know if I can do this." And I was like don't worry, you can do this. You can lift this 12 pound dumbbell. Um, And we just started there. And then from there, everything grew, everything gradually got heavier. But what I want to really emphasize is like, that happened over many months. And it took even my students who were like relatively bought into this stuff many months. Some of them, it took them an entire year to trust the process, you know, and trust themselves and for them to almost prove themselves wrong. Because I work with a lot of people who do not have exercise background. Like they have not been doing Pilates for eight years already. Like they're new and they've got injuries and they've got stuff going on. And They are hesitant to lift heavy weights. And so it's taken a long time in some cases for people to really see that like, okay, I may be 70 years old. I may have this list of things that are going on with me, but I can still build strength. And I find that people need to experience that for themselves to really trust the process and see the adaptation.
0: Yeah, I really like how you point to the human process, that you're working with the human, not just like a body part or just tissue. Like there's there's an actual person in there and they need to buy into the program because if they don't buy into it, they don't come back. And then nothing works. But I also appreciate how you mentioned that there's a, it's like, um, you're, you're referring to progressive loading where you you you're starting slow building it up and that you didn't just walk in one day with like, a backwards hat some black shades and an alter ego saying we're lifting all this heavy stuff you 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 brought in it seems like you you it was like a mixture of like progressive like exposure or our graded exposure is the word and then progressive yeah. um overload but for for listeners where that's like whoa that's jargon progressive over what um Could you provide uh, the listeners insight into what progressive overload is, its benefits, et cetera?
1: Yeah. You know, when people hear the word overload, I think they're already a little bit like, ooh, I don't know if I like the sounds of that. Basically, the way I think about this is just gradually over time, you're doing a little bit more than you used to be doing. And so... For my students who had not been to a class in two and a half years because everything was shut down, when they came back to my class, the 12-pound dumbbell was more resistance than they had been previously used to. So when you hear progressive overload, you think heavy weights, big weights. But all of those lifters who can lift heavy big weights now, they all started with lighter weights at some point. At some point, every lifter is lifting an empty bar or a 15-pound kettlebell or whatever they started with. And so um, just think small increases gradually over time. And I think where people get stuck is they do these small increases. They get to a certain amount of weight that they're lifting. It starts to feel hard. They don't always have great guidance. Plus, there's cultural messaging that can get in our way a little bit. And they stop there. And they don't continue the progression um, into those heavier loads. And those heavier loads is where a lot of the good stuff happens when it comes to the benefits people want like people know the benefits of heavy lifting they know muscle mass is good for them they know bone mass is good for them um but in order to get those benefits it's like we need to we need to eventually be pushing into some of those heavier weights and always that's you know depending on the person like what's heavy to you is different from what's heavy to me.
0: Yeah, and and there's a difference between this is hard and I'm biasing strength, right? Yeah. So like um, running a marathon is hard, right? But you're not going to get like ripped quads running a marathon, but you get tons of health benefits. And I'm speaking this as someone who will go to their grave having not run a marathon and totally happy, (laughs) right? And shout out to marathon people. You have strength that I, you have like internal strength that I will never have. Um, So it's not poo-pooing or anything, it's just a comparison of like different different, um, skills. So in like, what would be like, could you provide an example of like, hey, like this is like a strategy that's hard, right? Like, but not necessarily biasing strength and then compare that to like strength with difficulty.
1: So one thing that I think about a lot is the difference between hard versus heavy, because like you're saying, A lot of exercise is hard. Like you can go to a power yoga class and it's like, I'm sweating. My heart is beating. My muscles are burning. Like this is hard. But is this stimulus the input that's required for big strength gains in the future? That's really the question. So yeah, if you've never done anything before and then you go to power yoga, That's more stimulus than you had before. So maybe you've made the first little step along the progression. Maybe you're building some coordinative aspects, Um, but that will not carry over to the heavier resistance. And I think people really get stuck here. It's like we don't really know the difference between hard movement and heavy resistance movement. And it's also like we don't really know the difference between general fitness training and strength training because those are such different things, although you can kind of use the same exercises, but it's like, are you doing this with more of um, a fitness goal or are you doing this with a strength training goal? So like I can take squats, for example, and if I just wanna work on my fitness, I could just do 50 squats for time. But if I want to be working on my ability to do heavier squats in the future or build the muscle mass in my legs or start to build my bone mass or get those higher threshold motor units working, 50 squats for time is not the optimal way to get there. I need to be doing like six squats and then a two minute rest sitting on a chair and then another six squats with heavy resistance. And so sometimes even just teasing apart, like the difference between hard and heavy, and then the difference between like a fitness oriented approach or strength training oriented approach um, can be novel for people.
0: Yeah. 100% and we have that's very similar to to my experience in the Pilates industry which is just like there's so many there's like there's so much more to learn about human movement and dear listener this is not about hierarchy like this is better than that but it's about if your client comes in and they write on the waiver I would like strength and then you say oh my services are great for strength we should then have the skill set to differentiate difficult exercises or hard exercises from strength exercises and give them the strength because that's what they signed up for. So it's really about like client-centered care. And something that you mentioned earlier, uh, which we could definitely relate to in the Pilates industry, is just the population that comes in and like we're handing strength to. And so a lot of times when we think strength, we're like 30s and 40s, right? Right things like that. But now you're mentioning you have a seven-year-old client post-pandemic been doing the things and you have the courage to hand them a 12-pound dumbbell. Why not like a yellow TheraBand? They're happy with their yellow TheraBand. How dare you give them a dumbbell? Why?
1: Yeah, you know, the TheraBand is a great place to start. But what I always think about is I want people's training to be harder than their life because then their life feels easier. (laughs) And I think sometimes people have that swapped the other way around. And so I know how much resistance a red resistance band gives people. I mean, I don't know the like poundage. You could probably look it up, but like generally I know it's relatively light. Um, And I know that I want to help people get very, very strong. I want to help people get so strong that lifting a bag of sand in their garden feels easy. And I know that in order to do that, the weights they're lifting in their exercise needs to actually be heavier, like a lot heavier than what they're lifting in their daily life. And so to me, I just think about this as like this giant continuum of like, you have to start somewhere, but then gradually build it up from there. And to be honest, if they've been using some decent resistance band for a month or two, like they're ready, they're ready for the 10, 12 pound dumbbell and then they're ready for 15 and then they're ready for 20 and then they're ready for 30 and then they're ready for 50 yeah. And then, you know, it's endless. Some of my students right now are deadlifting 130 pounds for reps. They're getting very close to deadlifting their own body weight. And they're just getting started. And if I had told them on the first day of class, "In a year from now, you're going to be deadlifting your body weight for reps, they would have said, I'm not coming back here, (laughs) you know? But now that they're doing it and they're there, they're thinking to themselves, I wonder if I could do 200 one day. And Mm -hmm. the benefits, not only physically, but psychologically, that this shift brings are just so vast. Like you can't even explain it to people.
0: Yeah, I like how you continue to point out the psychological um, element, right? Like how empowering it is, like, you know, especially for someone who may have a belief that I can't get any stronger or things like that, or, you know, lifting's bad for my back. And then you, you gradually expose them both physically and psychologically to do things that they can never do. Like, that's just really powerful um, as, as a human uh, to do. And I think it's really important to recognize that as a 70 year old, well, two things, a 70 year old still living human tissue and living human tissue adapts. It's going to adapt to the couch, the car, the weights, the, the walking that you do. It's just, you're going to adapt and and there's no, um, there's no non-responders to resistance training and like the medicine and the poison is always in the dose. It's in the dose. So it's like, you got to find your dose. And then at any, at any age, we have the same physical activity guidelines, right? You know, of course, it's always a special population or comorbidity that can trump any rule, but otherwise healthy adults, it's 150 minutes of, phys- of um, aerobic activity, or plus two to three resistance training sessions per week. That's um, so like your 70-year-old grandma has the same physical activity guidelines as LeBron James. They just have different demands and different things that are important to them. So they're going to need different things. Um, but in terms of, um, like incorporating, like, do you ever find yourself incorporating the strength in a yoga class? Cause you're talking about like doing, uh, dead, like body, body weight deadlifts, meaning like you're lifting something re- like really heavy for the person and doing a deadlift. And then I'm, but I don't imagine you having a barbell in like the yoga studio. Right. So if you're, if you're in that position where it's like. Okay, this is great information, but I teach in an environment that doesn't have a barbell and these like heavy, heavy weights. What kind of advice could you provide a listener who's interested in biasing strength a little bit more yeah. with limited equipment?
1: Yeah. This was me for so many years. So I would not, not everybody might agree with this, but I would not get too hung up on like, training all the different body parts, because the reality is if you don't have any resistance, like if you don't have a pull-up bar or some heavy kettlebells, and if you don't have those things, it's. I think it's impossible um, to train all the different parts of your body heavy. But we can just like get over that for a second. We can think, you know what, I'm going to do the best job that I can do helping people who are coming to my class actually build strength, which means you actually have to get some heavy resistance input (laughs) into their systems. And so how do you do that? Well, it really depends on the level of the student. You know, for some people going down onto the floor and doing a plank for 10 seconds is heavy, heavy resistance. Um, And so if those are your students, it's like you've got a lot of options. That's the best case scenario. You've got a lot of options at your disposal. if getting up and down from a chair, like doing a sit to stand or a squat onto the chair is so hard for someone that they can only do it five or six times, then that's heavy resistance. Then that's all, that's what you need to do. You're exactly there. It's harder when you have people who are already adapted to doing those things. So if I can get up and down from the chair 50 times in a row, if my life depended on it, you know, how do I strengthen my legs? How do I get up to those heavier percentages? Um, And that's where it becomes tricky. And I think the people who are really invested in the research are going to say that's impossible if we're being really picky and technical. But I would say Maybe we could start working on single leg squats. And is that pure strength? No, because there's so much balance and coordination and all these other factors that are at play. So no, it's not 100% textbook pure strength. But is it so much better than just like giving up or not doing anything? I would say yes, it's so much better. So think about what do I need to do to get this person moving a heavy resistance? Is that a push up on the floor or is that a push up on the chair or at the wall or on the bar of the reformer? You know, is that a single leg squat or is that a two leg squat up and down from the chair? And if you can just start to wrap your head around, how do I get heavy resistance inputted into the systems of the people? They will start to get stronger in really meaningful ways.
0: I hope you're enjoying the podcast my only ask of you as a listener is to leave a five star review leaving a review helps this podcast grow and have a greater influence on the pilates industry i do this 100 for free i do not and will never accept advertisements on this podcast it is 100 for free and you can go ahead and make a huge difference and allow this to grow by leaving a five star review yeah, and it sounds like um, if you just have a mat, can you program some difficult squats and difficult push-ups, please? And it, it is, that's like my, my favorite parts about the strength is like, it's probably the most simple things. I don't know, I'm not as familiar with yoga, but I can definitely speak to Pilates. We're in Pilates where we're like, if we're going to progress something, we're going to add complexity. We're going to add a bell and we're going to add a whistle right? And we're going to, and it's healthy, sign me up. I will attend the Bells and Muscles classes, but I'm not going to attend it, it for a strength bias. Because with strength, it's it's a volume game. It's a volume game, which means consistent, consistently showing up and doing it. And you can consistently do push ups and consistently do squats and you'll develop your strength. And I think that's one of like the breakthrough moments of why I like such a huge advocate for programming this in these classes is they <laughs> it's like, going to be the easiest thing that you can program it's like just do a push-up you're fine
1: yeah
0: um and and with that you mentioned like yes like a pistol squat or a one-legged squat whatever the term is um is is it textbook strength no like 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 there's a a huge strength component but then you're there is a balance component so you're not going to get optimal strength and all that but then there's also a realm of like, who gives a shit? It's clinical significance. It, clinically, that's very significant. If I can get you from a two-legged squat to a one-legged squat, yeah, I think you can garden. You're fine. And pistol squats are super handy. I use them all the time going down uh, hiking in, in, um, in Hawaii this year. I was going to fall on rocks. I had the wrong shoes. So you know what I did? Pistol squat Yeah. got lower. Anyways, yes. less torque that way. It saved my life. So shout yeah. out to pistol squats, whoever introduced them to me. I, for- I forget <laughs> your name. Um, in my life. Um, but with that, like you, you mentioned something about, um, like working the whole body, right. There's this idea of like, um, like, like like to take it in like this other frame of in, in Pilates, a lot of times there's an argument of like, no, we're not going to do heavy legs. Like if you come in and you say leg day, that's not Pilates, whatever. Um, and so not me, but them. And so, um, the common clap back from the community would be like well instead of working like strengthening the legs we strengthen the whole body but but what actually happens is like we underload the whole body and so like can you speak to that a little bit of like why it might be okay to like bias a body part instead of just like we're going to strengthen every part of the body every session
1: yeah you know i think that There's a difference between strengthening the whole body, truly applying heavy enough resistance that you're going to get some of these, you know, strength adaptations and doing a whole body movement that feels generally challenging. And so I would say that like in heavy strength training, the compound exercises, like the heavy compounds, like a deadlift or a back squat, I would consider those whole body strengthening exercises. But if that's what you're going to do for every exercise, every session, it is so deeply fatiguing on every single muscle of your body, on your nervous system, on your ability to recover. And I think that, you know, bodybuilders and powerlifters and High level weightlifters know this. And so in most strength training, there is a whole body component. You're usually doing one or two compound lifts in a session. And then we have the accessory work. Some people go to the gym and do leg day and arms day. And some people will do pull day. And some people will do push day. And so These are all great options, depending on what your goals are. Um, For me, sometimes it just depends on like, what are my energy levels? Because if my energy levels are kind of low, you know, am I going to do a whole bunch of heavy full body compound lifts? Like probably not. Maybe I would prefer to do a leg day or an arms day on one of those days. Um, the benefits to splitting up your training and doing a leg day, an arms day, a pull day, stuff like this, is that you can really get focused on certain areas of your body. Like when I first got into string training, I remember my coach assessing me on the first day and he was just like, you know, step off this bench, jump up onto here, hang from this bar, lift this weight, like basic assessment. He just wanted to see like, what would my muscles do under resistance? And he realized that some parts of me were so much weaker than other parts. And a lot of my training in those early months was like so much leg day, so much hamstring loading, glute loading, lower back loading. Like That was the majority of my training Um, And it was so beneficial because I could just focus on these parts of my body that needed extra help. They needed extra training um, to create more balance that my body could do the things that I wanted it to do. So I know a lot of people who go to yoga and Pilates are used to whole body movement all the time. And it feels great to do a little bit of everything. And you might be able to work up to doing that with heavy strengthening. But having a day that's focused on one part of your body can just help you do exactly that. Focus on it, get the reps in, get the sets in, get the consistency, get the volume. And then that part of your body gets like an extra boost. Um, And that's, you know, what a lot of people need.
0: Yeah, there's, there's so many ways to win. And I think it's especially like helpful to recognize that like um, there's a difference between like full body hard and like full yeah. body strengthening. And like yeah. you kept mentioning like like having that that much heavy load on the whole body. Yeah, welcome to Dom's for the next five, like it should be like three days, but it might be five <laughs> on this one, you know? So it's like, that's a way to like, you, you end up reducing your volume. Like, like in my experience, you end up reducing your volume cause you, yeah. you cancel the next class cause you're too sore. But like, it, I also think it's easier in a Pilates, like in a Pilates or, or yoga practice, like maintain the like the because the, there's a vibe with these kinds of classes, right? It is that bending, twisting, moving all the joints in these like awesome ways, which is why I've made a career out of this stuff. And then like like being able to like integrate the strength in there sometimes like that's a skill of being like how can I keep like this flow, and that's where it's like um, anecdotally if I were to like. Do a strength class. I'm actually doing one right after this for the diploma. Um, you know, I would just focus on the arms or the legs because it's easier to program. You can just do like a couple sets of that. And then, like, there is such a thing of like when we're trying to in like like the stuff can sound cool, but like the application of it hard. And one of the things that a lot of times instructors run into is maintaining the the idea of flow. Like everything needs to flow well together like there's a value in transition from exercise to exercise and sometimes when you're like pistol squat like there's no transition <laughs> it's just like stand up and do it um what kind of advice would you provide anyone listening who's trying to maintain flow in a class uh, whether it be yoga pilates or anything of the like kind wants to integrate more strengthening
1: Yeah, it can be really hard because when you're doing true strengthening, like heavy resistance, you need to have probably at least a little bit of rest before you do it and a little bit of rest after you do it. And so in a yoga class, like I taught flow classes for years, it's just a continuous one movement into the next. There's not a ton of resting. So it can be very challenging to go from that way of teaching into like, now I'm teaching pistol squats, but we're going to need a rest afterwards. Um, one thing that I think about in strength training, there's something called supersets. So, not all strength training is like do something hard and then sit for two minutes. Sometimes people will do supersets. So, they'll do like a pull and then a push, or they'll do a deadlift and then an overhead press. And it's like two exercises that uh, don't load the same muscles, basically. Like they're loading different muscles and they're very complementary and they're not going to exhaust each other. So they go well together. It's like a nice little pairing. Um, And if I wanted to teach a class that was more flowing, I would think to myself, can I approach this like a superset? So maybe I'm going to combine push-ups with like I'll do some push ups and I'll walk the hands back to the feet and then we'll stand and then we'll do some squats. And it's like there's a continuous movement. It's not just like, all right, everybody go. 10 reps go. Now stop. Now rest. Now drink water. You know, like there is this continuous flow to it. Yeah. Um, but thinking about it more like a strength set and When I first started teaching this stuff, it felt so awkward for me as a teacher because I was used to teaching flow. And so I felt like so much of the turmoil of it was like within my mind, because as soon as I wasn't teaching flow, I had so much like chatter about like, oh no, this is different. What are they thinking? What am I going to do next? What am I supposed to, you know? And so there's ways to teach movements that are strengthening, but you can maintain like the same way of cueing as you would in a flowing class. It doesn't, like you can take a lot of the things you love about yoga or Pilates and the way that you would teach the class and talk to people and stuff like that and still do those things, but you're just teaching strength training movements.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and I I like how you bring up the idea of supersets, and there's that idea of like taking theory and bringing it into practice. Because if you're in like the lab, right? If you're in the lab at like university doing a study for some for some grad student, you're gonna do like a bench press or or whatever the exercise is, and then you're gonna sit there and you're gonna like play on Instagram for two minutes or sometimes even more and then you'll do the exercise again. And then Pilates, that's a great way to like lose all your clients and then also get like fired from the studio because no one's coming to your classes, right? So there's, there's that idea of, of just keeping your class uh, flowing in a logical way, even though it's not like by technicality, like 100% biasing strength. Uh, but there's a really skillful way in doing that of like recognizing that if you just tire, if you got your pushing muscles, tired let them rest right like go do some legs like right afterwards and then there's just that skill and transitioning in between them uh but sometimes there's like the cost benefit of like so like in uh, i don't know 30 days from now the benefits of my clients like um, experience with me are they gonna get more benefits from me programming the strength even though it wasn't as flowy or are they gonna get more benefits from the flow? You know, sometimes that's that's just what I think about it because sometimes, sometimes they don't flow that well, although your flow sounded great. Push-ups, walk to the feet, squats, you <laughs> nailed it. But sometimes it is clunky, and even in my classes, I'm like, just get up, walk over there. Like, we're good. Uh, I think it's, sometimes we can, we can take that pressure off ourselves, and a lot of times it is just in our own head. Um, but another concept that I just wanted to kind of touch on with um strengthening a lot of times it's the idea of like um okay we're at the top of the bridge so squeeze your butt or like use your glutes to to open the yellow thoroughband kind of thing and so there's this idea of like internally trying to generate the force rather than using external load to just make it happen um how do you approach that idea of squeezing muscles in your practice
1: yeah, I, I think about, I would say I talk about squeezing muscles really differently now than I used to. My class was just a constant flow of do this movement, squeeze this muscle, go into this pose, now squeeze this muscle, because that's what I thought strengthening was, you know, like, I think I've known strength and engagement and support is really useful for people for a long, long time, even before I was doing strength training. But that's what I thought it was. Um, And then when I started to work with weights and bands, I started to realize, oh, no, that's not what it was. (laughs) So I say less about engaging muscles, but I try my best. Best to apply the resistance to those muscles, and then while i'm apply- while I'm teaching the exercise that I know applies the resistance, then I might say a little something about squeeze your glutes while you do this. I might not like I don't think it's mandatory. glutes are going to squeeze when they're loaded um, but if I'm working with people who you know want to hear those cues or it's really helpful. For them or it's helpful for them to like understand what they might be experiencing then I'll definitely still use those cues Mm -hmm. I think that so many people probably come from that background of like if I'm squeezing my glutes I'm strengthening them and maybe you know that initial squeeze is like the first step in the right direction but like when I pick up my mug and i bring it up to take a sip i can think about squeezing my biceps you know but is that getting into the higher threshold motor units like no this is a this is a lower threshold motor unit activity this is a light activity and squeezing muscles during a light activity is very, very different stimulus than squeezing muscles during a heavy resisted activity. Um, and that's also in a lot of cases, the difference between something being hard and something being heavy. Like I can lie on my side and do 50 clamshells and feel those muscles burning and that feels hard. But that's different stimulus than like, putting a 25 pound plate on the side of my leg and lifting it up eight times and it being heavy.
0: Yeah. And it's really funny, Like even when you're picking up your mug, I'm like, now we only talk about the biceps, right? But like, what about palmaris longus? What about the intrinsics of your hands? What about flexor carpi radialis? Like, like we only talk about like the popular muscles, right? Which is really, Which is really, it always kicks me. I'm like, but like, there's so much more going on and like in one and i like how, i like how you keep going back to like the person right for the person it might be important to hear a muscle and then and then what that is is like enhancing expectations of the exercise the exercise is getting someone stronger so it's, so it like in my head i start to be like oh that's about the belief of the client right like we need to get the client to believe that they're going to get stronger and that they're in the safe space and that that they're doing what they need to do it also sells your 10 band. um so there's so there's there's that aspect to it and but at the end of the day, like if a muscle like the way I like to think of it in like a really simple terms is like if a muscle is not engaging, you don't have a squeezing muscle problem. You have an exercise problem like it's just not a good exercise. Like if you're on your back and you're doing like crunches or some kind of flexion movement, you don't have to be like like rectus abdominis, turn on and then curl forward like it, you literally have to use it or else you don't you don't come up. So, so I, it's, it's one of those topics of like, if you go too far left or too far right, you, you just run into different versions of the same problem. So having that happy median of like, you could say it, nothing wrong with it, but it's also like, you're also an authentic teacher and you're doing just as good if you choose not to. Uh, but knowing how to load the muscle is is a lot more important.
1: That's but, really the key. And like, one time I was in the gym with someone. And they're doing single leg deadlifts. And they said, I can't feel my hamstrings. And I said, would you consider using a heavier weight? And she said, well, no, because I can't feel my hamstrings. I was like, maybe this isn't hard enough for your hamstrings to be feeling yet. And she went up in weight. And she, then she has the experience, oh, wow, now I can feel these muscles that are responding. And like, that's, it's just such an interesting experience to be having with people.
0: Yeah. It kind of like a, um, like a bridge is a classic one. Like, like we use springs, like less, like less spring resistance, the more you're going to feel your hamstrings. But a lot of times we go to like, like there, there are a lot more simple solutions than we tend to go to. Sometimes it's like, all right, push down on the floor. And there's like this, this like novel of imagery to like, imagine your hamstrings working and now they're working kind of thing where it's like, you could just do a simple solution, like add weight, play around with the load and like, you're going to, well, one, you're going to feel your hamstrings now, and now you're going to have adequate load to build strength. But then another blocker, uh, last one here, like, like another blocker is like, I don't want to get bulky. Have you ever heard that one before? It's everyone (laughs) ever teaching fitness, right? So I don't want to get bulky. I just want to get toned for X, Y, Z reason. And I'll say that they're valid reasons. How do you handle those conversations either with yourself or with a client of, I don't want to get bulky?
1: I saw this really funny meme on Instagram that saying like, I don't want to lift weights because it's going to make me bulky is like saying, I don't want to take a cooking class because it's going to turn me into a Michelin chef. (laughs) Um, You know, the way that I think about this, especially with people who are my age and older, like I'm 35 um is building muscle it's not like in order to build so much muscle that you look like a bodybuilder requires so much intensity and like training twice a day and like a huge level of supplementation and a huge lifestyle change. So people look at those pictures and they think, Oh God, I don't want to look like that thinking, Oh, I'll just start doing some like 12 pound weights and I'm going to end up looking like that. You know, building strength and building muscle is also about fighting muscle loss as we age you know and so like (laughs) I think the best case scenario is we're maintaining we're maybe adding a little bit more you know and as we get into 40s 50s 60s 70s the actual building gets more challenging it gets harder and harder and harder so yeah if you're like 18 years old, and you have a very high protein diet, and you start lifting weights twice a day, you might end up looking like one of those bodybuilders. Um, But for the rest of us, you know, there's so much benefit to be had through increased muscle mass, like metabolic health benefits, um, fall prevention benefits bone mass benefits. And those are really the things that we're going for. I've actually never started teaching somebody heavy strength training, and they've ended up looking like one of these bodybuilders.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's really hard to like accidentally get ripped. It's hard. I don't don't know how it happened. Right. And a lot of times we're not really, um, you know, if we're in a conventional gym, you can absolutely like all the load is there to make it happen. It's just time and volume and, and strategy um in in most yoga places and pilates places we don't even have the tools uh to to make that that happen i uh, mean like we're, we don't have 45 pound plates i um, laying around in the corner so it's one of the, the things that we generally don't need to worry about but i think a skill is like being able to handle that conversation Um, with the client and collaborate with them listening to their concerns but also just explain to them like the things that you mentioned that what we're doing is a lot of times we're just going to be maintaining strength and then we'll be building it up you know a little bit and we'll monitor it Um, you know in picking out like the benefits such as um, you know bone density balance and also just tying it to a functional goal and being able to maintain that is extremely um, valuable uh, but with that, I am uh, conscious of our, of our time today, and I want to give uh, the listeners an opportunity uh, to connect with you, Catherine. Um, if any of the listeners want to connect with you, how could they do so? So
1: I have my own podcast. Um, We're not always putting out new episodes every week right now, but there's hundreds of episodes you could go back to. It's called the Mindful Strength Podcast. And I have so many things happening, like online classes. Um, I teach six to eight week strength programs online. Right now I'm teaching a deadlift program, but there's all kinds of new programs coming up depending on when you're listening. And you can find all that stuff at mindfulstrength.ca.
0: Awesome. And all of uh, Catherine's uh, information is in the show notes. So If you're driving, like, don't pull over and start writing it on a napkin. Um, it is one click away in the show notes. Thank you for your time, Catherine. And thank you, uh, listeners. Have an incredible rest of your day.
1: Thank you.